Okay, but I'm so excited. I've got um, uh, a great word um, that I really feel like is a download from God to share with you guys. Give it up for the incredible worship team. Come on. Got Josh Blakely hiding behind a guitar that's like as big as he is. Come on, man. You all right? You have, you're, you're okay? You're back? You got back problems? Are you good? Okay, cool, man. You're good. All right. Give it up for Josh, one of my favorite people in the world. What an incredible morning of worship. So we are uh, jumping into a, uh, a new series. Um, well, it's, we're a couple weeks into it, and it's called God in Hollywood. And I love this series. It's a, just kind of a fun um, uh, summer series that I think we've done every year since, since I've been around, and where we really just look for uh, biblical truths, Christian principles in mainstream Hollywood blockbusters. And so uh, we're going to be talking about um, one of my uh, favorite films. Um, I mean, it's rated R, so I haven't seen it. I'm a pastor, but I've heard uh, this, you know, is a, is a great movie. Uh, it's called Inside Man. It's a heist thriller with Denzel Washington. And uh, so we're going we're gonna to get to that in, in, uh, in just a minute, but I am just believing um, in faith. You know, as I was listening to um, uh, the worship set and just worshiping, one of the themes that seemed to be coming out, and I had no, you know, I, I didn't know what the worship set was going to be, and just all about freedom, and just seemed like there was just so much of just, of, of, of singing about freedom, and I just know that today is going to be a day of freedom for some of you. I'm prophesying into 40 minutes into your future that you are going to be set free of some stuff, that there's going to be some hurts and habits and hangups that are on you that are going to be broken off and you're going to leave here feeling lighter. And you know, we live in a world where freedom is this weird thing. We Freedom uh, in sort of this, our mainstream Western culture would be defined as the absence of all restriction, the absence of all restraint. And that's not freedom. If I take a fish and just say, oh, this poor fish, he's so confined and so constrained to the water. He's living under such oppression He's not free to experience walking around. And I take that fish and I say, you're free, buddy. And I put him on dry land. That's not going to go well for the fish because, listen, freedom is not the absence of all restriction. Freedom is living within the bounds that you were meant to function in. And so I just know and I'm declaring in faith that there is going to be a download from heaven and, and every single one of us is going to leave feeling lighter, feeling more free, walking in more and more freedom. So the title of my message this morning is The Farmer and the Banker. The Farmer and the Banker. And so we're going to look at a particular character from the movie Inside Man. He is, uh, his name is Arthur Case, played by Christopher Plummer, um, and he is a banker. And we're going to look at Adam, um, who was a farmer in the garden. And so we're going to, um, you know, if you've been around church or listened to Christians talk, you, you might hear this word thrown around, gospel, the gospel. And all it means is, is literally, it just means good news, the good news. And so if you read the newspaper, the newspaper is just a document that tells you about stuff that happened in history. And so the gospel, the good news, is just that something happened in history and it was really, really good. Right now, in order to understand the good news, you kind of have to understand the bad news, okay? And so just imagine you're like a, you're a farmer in, in Kansas in the middle of nowhere, and you live like on thousands of acres all by yourself, and it's September of 1945, and it's just you and your family, and you just live off the land, have no reason to ever go to town. You just, you know, you, you have all your crops, and you're, it's just you and your family just tilling the land, and uh, you may go years without seeing another human being, and then out of nowhere, you just see this guy like running onto your property, just running full speed, and you're just a little like, man, what's going on? And he grabs you, and he says, great news, the war is over. 
It's September 1945 and World War II has just ended. But it doesn't mean anything to you because you've just been living in your own little bubble, right? You don't know the bad news and so you can't appreciate the good news. And so the first part of this message, I'm gonna warn you, we gotta talk about some bad news, okay? It's gonna, it might be a little heavy, but I promise it's gonna get, we're gonna get to the good news. So if, if you're podcasting this message for the love of God, don't turn it off halfway through. Just, just stick with it and listen to the end. So we're gonna read Genesis chapter three, starting uh, in verse seven. And so I'm gonna set this up uh, while you're flipping there in your Bible. It'll be on the screen behind me. So this is a very famous story from the Bible about Adam and Eve, and they have, uh, God has made them. He has placed them in a garden and said, hey, you can do whatever in the world you want. Just here's a couple ground rules that we just, you know, you can't bypass. And then Adam and Eve decide, eh, food, all that. We're gonna kind of do it our way. We wanna um, take control. We wanna kind of be our, our own God, make our own way. And so they, they disobey God and, the, and they would, the Bible uh, would call it sin. They sinned, right? And so I wanna read it and just kind of look at, at um, kind of what that means and, and, and what happened. So we're gonna pick it up in verse seven, uh, Genesis chapter three. And this is sort of the aftermath after um, Adam and Eve have, have, have sinned and kind of made this choice. So we're gonna read it starting in verse seven. It says, then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees in the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. I hid myself. And so we see um, that Adam and Eve have, 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 have sinned. They have made this decision that disconnects them from God. And, and you know, we, when you say the word sin in like our modern Western, like American culture, it just, it just feels so like, I don't know, like Salem witch trials, it just feels so archaic and outdated. And we think of it as like sex, drugs, and rock and roll kind of thing. But listen, sin by biblical definition is, is not that at all. It can be, it's just making something more ultimate than God. That's it. Now, it could be a really, really great thing. I mean, your kids, your children are a gift from God. But if you make them an ultimate thing in your life where every, your identity is derived from what your kids do and don't do, every decision that you make is governed on your children and they rule your world, then you have put them in an ultimate position in front of God. And even though your children are a great thing, the Bible would say that that is sinful. You have made something more ultimate than God. Maybe it's success or your career and that's a great thing. God wants you to be ambitious and go dominate in the marketplace. But if that becomes your, your ultimate end, how you define yourself, how you draw your value, then the Bible would say that that is sin. And so Adam and Eve, all they did was they put themselves in an ultimate place and said, you know what, God, you have given us these rules, but we want to be, we want, we, we say, nah, you probably, you probably got it wrong. You're trying to withhold from us. And so we're going to do it our way. So they actually made themselves, they put themselves in a more ultimate position than God. And that was their, that was their sin. That was their, their, their blunder, right? And so I want to look at kind of how we as human beings try to deal with our own, our own junk, okay? And I've, I, we're gonna look at uh, uh, Adam, the farmer. We're gonna look at Arthur Case, a character in Inside Man, the banker. And we're gonna just see how, um, how they, and then by consequence, we as humans all try to deal with our junk. And I've really, I, there's, there's three things. I got three point, I just held up two fingers and said three things. All right, that's not right. There we go, one more. Uh, three things that we as human beings um, try to do. We try to fix it, we try to hide it, and we try to balance it out. 
We try to fix it. We try to hide it. We try to balance it out. So we're going to uh, talk about, um, about each of those things, and we'll see it in, in kind of how Adam behaves and how Arthur Case behaves. And so we're going to um, play a, a clip here in just one second. Let me set it up. So in this movie, Inside Man, if you haven't seen it, it's an excellent heist thriller movie. So well done. I love it very, very much. And so um, there's a character named Arthur Case, who is this billionaire banking tycoon who has built this unbelievable fortune of, you know, thousands and thousands of banks all over the country, and one of them is robbed. And it's robbed by this uh, super clever heist man um, named Dalton Russell, played by Clive Owen. And, um, and you, you come to find out pretty quickly, you're gonna get some spoilers here, so if you haven't seen it, I'm really sorry. Uh, but uh, that, that Arthur Case, the owner of this bank, is hiding some kind of a secret. And this is, the one that's being robbed is the original bank that he built back in like 1945, like at the beginning of his empire. And we start to see that there's something going on. And, and it turns out he has this deep, dark secret hidden in one of the safety deposit boxes in that bank. And he knows that this thief is trying to get at his safety deposit box. And so he's panicking and scrambling and trying to do everything he can to, to keep that secret suppressed, to, to, to not have his past come back to haunt him. And so he tries to, exactly as I said, he tries to fix it, he tries to hide it, he tries to balance it out. So I wanna look at how he, he starts off trying to fix it. And so this uh, clip that we're about to watch is him going into uh, sort of the detective's trailer. There's a, you know, Clive Owen, the, the bad guy is in there. He's got the bank locked up, he's got hostages. And, and Arthur Case comes in to Denzel Washington, the detective, and he's like, just wants to help and is like just desperate to try to, to, try to use Use his means to, to fix this situation. So let's go ahead and spin this first clip. Excuse me, detectives. This is off the case. He's the, uh, the chairman, board of directors of the bank. You want to talk? Absolutely. Talk to him. Absolutely. Mr. Case, how are you? I'm Detective Frazier. Anything in particular you think we should know? No. I just wondered if I might be of some assistance. Have they made any demands? They want a jet. Oh, I see. Um, would you like me to arrange one for you? I'm so sorry. I, I must have misunderstood. That's uh, it's quite all right, Mr. Case. Uh, where can we reach you if we need anything? Oh, well, those are my people in there, you know, and I, I would like to stay here for a while. I won't disturb you. I'll just... Well, uh, Sergeant uh, Collins, Mr. Right Case, uh, we'll, we'll try and keep you posted as best we can, but you're going to have to excuse us for now, okay? Right this way, sir? Thank you very much. Absolutely. This way, sir? Thank you very much. <clears throat> and thank you all so much. Thank you. You're welcome. This way, sir. Come on, I love that scene. I love, uh, you know, you can just hear kind of the desperation in, in Christopher Plummer's portrayal of of um, Arthur Case, and he's he comes in and he just he's he's going to try to fix it. He's got this secret, but he's going to try to dig into his own means to try to fix it. And it's interesting, I that he says, you know, the whole dialogue about the jet and do you want me to arrange one for you? And he's not Arthur Case is not interested at all in the well-being of the hostages and um, what uh, you know how they remedy the situation as soon as possible. All he cares about is give in to the demands of the of the hostage taker and just keep my secret safe and fix it. And so he doesn't really care about anybody else, just really digging into his own means to try to fix this. And it's really exactly what Adam does in the garden in, in Genesis 3, verse 7. The Bible says that after they, they realize they're naked, that Adam sows fig leaves as a covering for him and Eve. And what's so interesting about that is I, uh, I brought a uh, visual aid here. This is a, uh, a green leaf. Hopefully um, this wasn't the leaf that Adam used. It's um, fairly, uh, 
Anyway, <clears throat> we'll stop that joke right there. Praise God for discernment of the Holy Spirit. So this leaf I plucked from a, a tree right outside of C3 Church, so that might be vandalism, I'm not sure. Don't tell anybody. So you, you look at this leaf, right, and it looks, it looks perfectly fine. It's still very green, very lush, like it's, it's all good, right? This looks like a perfectly healthy leaf, but we all know that when I disconnected it from its source, that I sent this leaf on a collision course with its own demise. This poor little leaf, he doesn't know it, but it's, it's over for him. He's, he's finished, right? And what is happening, even on a cellular level, is this leaf is beginning to dry up and decay. And it's so, um, I think, so... Uh, really darkly poetic, that this is exactly what Adam does, is he plucks a leaf and, and uses it as a covering for himself. He tries to fix himself. But, I mean, you fast forward like three weeks, and, and Adam's little fig leaf bikini is going to be all dried up and cracked, and it's just going to turn to dust and fall away. It's not a covering that's going to last. It's not a covering that's going to work. And so he, Adam has, has tried to, to use his own means to fix himself and fix Eve, and it just, it's insufficient. It doesn't work. And it's really... If you take it a step further, it's actually a metaphor for exactly what has happened to Adam and Eve themselves on a spiritual level. They have been disconnected from their source, and they are on a, a collision course with their own death and their own destruction. Without some kind of a supernatural intervention, this leaf, I cannot go back out to the tree that I plucked it from and like hot glue it or like whatever it back to the tree. Like it's done. It's severed. There is no reconnection. It would take a supernatural fusing to get this leaf back on the tree. So it is reconnected with its source. All right. So I'm sorry, little leaf. Put that right there. It's too bad for you. And so you see, we we, uh, we as humans, we try to fix things. We try to, to take matters into our own hands and, and fix things ourselves. You know, I've got a, a three-year-old son. Um, his name is Zeke. He's a, an awesome little boy. And, you know, you've heard that phrase, don't cry over spilt milk. Um, well, he doesn't do that at all. He has this thing where he, like, he'll spill something, and he looks at me and, and tells me it's okay. because it's okay, Daddy. I'm like, oh, okay, great. And then he will try to clean it, and he's like three. He doesn't really understand like the principles of like absorption and like, you know, how to clean. He hasn't developed that skill. And so it's like, it starts out as a little bitty puddle of milk, and he's like, it's okay, daddy. And he just takes his wrist and just And so now it's just a really big puddle of milk. It really didn't do anything. It just got way, way worse, right? And that's like, so us, when we try to fix things, we're like, it's okay, daddy, I got it. Just smear it everywhere, right? And it's, uh, you know, probably one of the, the, the greatest and worst things about me as a human being, as, uh, as Mike Yeager, is I have a, an extremely obsessive and addictive personality. And I am obsessed and addicted to really good things most of the time to being the best husband I can be, to being the best father I can be, to crushing it in the marketplace, to serving this church. But there's a, there's a dark side to that. Is I'm also, I have a, a penchant for being addicted and obsessive about not good things. And so my whole, every single human being in, in the Jaeger lineage at some point in time has struggled with substance abuse of some kind. And I am no exception. That is a, has, has been a real part of my story for, for a long time. And really before I found this church and when Katie and I were very, very newly married, it was something that gripped me. And I would try 
all these self-policing tactics, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to only, only drink on Fridays or it ended up being only days that end with Y. And then it's like, I'm only going to do this this way. I'm only going to, I'm trying to put all these rules and tried to self-police and fix things. And all I found was that it just got worse because not only did I not, I was unable to self-police myself, but then I just ended up getting super frustrated and beat up. And so then it was like, not only was I drinking too much, but I was like frustrated at how much I sucked at stopping drinking, right? And it was just such a, a terrible um, period of my life of me trying to self-fix and self-police. And it wasn't until I surrendered to God and said, there is no way that I can heal myself, that God really delivered me, brought me out of that. And I walk in really incredible freedom um, from that. And so it's just, we cannot fix it ourselves. And if we do, we're like my three-year-old son, just smearing milk all over the place, right? So we cannot fix ourselves, point number one. Now, point number two, that we, that we as humans try to do when, we, when we're faced with our, our junk, our sin, our issues, whatever you want to call it, is we try to hide it. We try to hide. We try to, you know, if we can't fix it, I'm just going to bury it way, way deep down so nobody knows about it. Maybe even I can forget about it, right? So we're going to watch another scene from, uh, from Inside Man. And this is, uh, so after Arthur Case has tried to, uh, to fix it, he's, he's like, okay, well, now I'm going to try to hide it. So he uh, consults with this uh, other character played by Jodie Foster. Her name is Madeline White in the movie. And she's like this sort of um, super like incognito consultant that really, really rich people hire as like their fixer to come in and, and deal with these problems. And so we're going to watch the interaction between Madeline White and Arthur Case as he kind of uh, tries to, uh, to employ her. So let's go ahead and watch this second clip. Why don't you let me explain to you how I work? Please, that would be nice. <laughs> well, you say that there are family heirlooms inside your safety deposit box. That's fine. But in my experience, people like you have people working for them that handle these kinds of things. And when they can't, well, they don't call me. The people call me. So immediately I know that there's something in that box that you don't even want your closest aides to know about. No problem with me. You tell me. I don't need to know what's in that box, and I don't need to know. But if you tell me, it's a bunch of old baseball cards. And I find out that it's the launch codes for nuclear missile. Then let's just say we no longer have an agreement. Have you finished? Yes. What's inside that box, young lady, has belonged to me since before you were born. It's very valuable and poses no danger whatsoever to anyone. Except you. <laughs> OK. Well, first, there are men with guns in there, so I can't guarantee any results. Agreed? Of course. Now, um, what makes you think that they want to rob your box? I don't. <laughs> well, why don't you tell me how you would like this to end? Hmm? I prefer that nobody ever touch my safe deposit box. Not them, not you, not the authorities. And the sooner the situation ends, the happier I'll be. Is that specific enough for you? No. The contents of that box are of great value to me, so long as they remain my secret. And if they're exposed? I'll face some difficult questions. I'll face some difficult questions, he says. And so I, this clip is so... Um, 
Interesting. I, I like that line where he says, you know, she says, well, how do you want this to end? He says, I prefer that nobody ever touch my safety deposit box. Not them, not you, not the authorities, right? And so he is, anything he can do to hide this secret, to just bury it down. If I can't fix it, I'm just going to just put it as, as deep down as I can so that it's, it's uh, unseen to anybody else and even maybe to me, right? And so it's interesting because in Genesis chapter 3, it's exactly how Adam and Eve behave. So first they try the fig leaves thing and, you know, Adam Adam's like, okay, that's, that's not working. So, uh, so then they, they hear the Lord God walking in the cool of the day. And so the Bible says that they hide. They hide themselves from God. And I think it's so like, okay, guys. God is everywhere. It's, uh, there's an episode, this is going to date me a little bit. There's an episode of Seinfeld. Any Seinfeld fans out there? Where Elaine Bennis um, is working in an office. And there's this guy, and they call him the Sidler. And he just, uh, he, he walks so quietly, you just don't ever hear him coming. Then all of a sudden, you just, she'll, like, Elaine will be at the copier, and she'll turn around and, oh, and he's just, he's just right there, right? And so they, the Elaine and Jerry come up with a plan, and they slip a pack of Tic Tacs in his pocket so that as he's walking, you hear, right? God is like the sidler, okay? You just think you're in a dark place, kind of doing whatever, knowing you're, you know, kind of falling away from church a little bit, falling away from serving like you used to or whatever, and you're just like, Hey there, God. <laughs> Ooh. God is everywhere. There's no hiding from God. King David said, if I make my bed in the depths of Shoal, you are there. If I make my bed in the mountaintops, you are there, right? There is no hiding from God. So that's really silly. But we also try to hide from everybody else. And I um, there's a, a million different ways we could we could take this point. And I want to focus on on one thing in particular. And listen, I I have no, I see no inherent, like I don't think social media is sinful, okay? Instagram is not some inst, like instrument of the devil. Social media is a great thing, and it has done a lot of incredible things for our culture, but also it's done some really weird things, and we can use it as a, as a way to hide. And so I, it's like, well, let me, I'm going to explain it um, uh, this way. So uh, the, in a second, the media guys are going to put a picture up on the, uh, the screen, and um, this picture and subsequently what happened after, uh, I think perfectly describes kind of how we can use social media to hide and how it can be an instrument for, for you know, kind of some, uh, uh, some not good things if we let it. So can we go ahead and put this picture up on the, uh, on the board there? Oh, everybody said, oh. So that's me uh, as a brand new dad, so proud, holding my little son, Zeke, just a couple days old. And, you know, I just, such a proud papa, just like, brand new at this dad thing with my firstborn son, just the, like, we had this, this uh, photo session, and I was just on cloud nine, and like, every, this just says peace and serenity and fatherhood. It's the embodiment of, right? But here's what actually happened. Literally, the instant that the camera clicked to take this picture, my son diarrheaed all over my right hand, like yellow mustard, you know, newborn poop, and just everywhere, just in my hand, all over my shirt. And so I was just like, oh, like that, and just pulled him away. And then he got startled because he got woke up. And he's like, he's like two days old, right? So this whole like life on earth thing is brand new, like sensory overload. So I'm like, whoa. And he's like, ah. And then Katie is like half laughing at me, but then also half mad that I got him all stirred up and I ruined the photo shoot. And it was like, Chaos, pandemonium. But then you look at this photo and it's like, oh, such peace, so calm. 
And that is, I feel like, how social media works sometimes, right? It's like you see the, you, you know, you're scrolling through your feed and you see the Jones family. <sighs> and they're on vacation in Maui. And the husband's like got his shirt open with a six pack of abs and wife is looking golden tan and blonde and beautiful. Every child is perfectly well behaved. Not a wrinkle on their shirt, no stains. And there's just like, you know, the Jones family on vacation in Maui. And you're like, oh, we're going to Big Bear. <laughs> Next week, we're not going to Maui, we're going to Big Bear. Dadgummit. And it just like, but then what you don't know is that the Jones family, 10 minutes before that photo was taken and 10 minutes after, were just screaming at their kids like, be still or I'm gonna punch you in the face. And, and it's just like, right? But we just see, and I think it was Pastor Leanne said it so brilliantly. She said, it's, it's like comparing your B-roll footage to somebody else's highlight reel. You just see the best of the best. Nobody, I'm not actually on Instagram ever, so this has probably already been done, but I had this awesome idea of creating an Instagram account and you only post the worst moments of your day. Like, all right, hold on, hold on, me and Katie are fighting and like, uh, hold on, I need to start a story here. Right? Or like when your kids are just losing it, have like yogurt all over their face and slamming their head into the ground. You know when you're a, if you're a parent of toddlers and you get the back arch? That's when, I mean, it's like, hey, call, call Pastor Pam. We need some deliverance. There's something really bad happening here. There's something living in this child. It needs to come out. And you just post, what if you just post that to Instagram? You know, you're in the morning looking in the mirror, just like, oh, I'm going to start my story here. Got some nose hairs getting a little out of control. I need to get those taken care of. Got an eyebrow hair. It's about six inches longer than the rest of them. You get that plucked, right? Nobody does that. You don't, you're not real on social media, right? And so it can be this thing. And listen, it can be awesome. And it's, and it's connected people. It's made the world a lot smaller in a lot of really great ways. But if we let it, it can be this instrument for hiding, for only putting this, this facade up so that nobody else sees what's going on inside. And then it works the opposite way too, where you look at, you know, the, the Jones family and you're like, gosh, they are so much cooler than we are, so much better off. They take the coolest vacations. They look awesome. And so it makes you shrink back and hide and feel like, man, I can't let people know the real me. I'm not like the Jones family. And so it can be this very, very cyclical um, instrument for, for not being real. And I love our church because we are a church that is fresh, real, and powerful. And that's one of the hallmarks of, of the vision of this church is that you can come in exactly as you are. And you will find two things in equal measure. You will find grace and mercy and you will find responsibility. It is okay to not be okay at this church. You just can't stay that way. You just can't stay that way. And I love, uh, I can't speak for women's prayer. I've never been, I'm not a lady, I'm not allowed. But at men's prayer, every, 530, uh, five, every Tuesday at 5.30 in the morning, uh, whenever I'm not traveling for work, I always go. It's one of the, my favorite parts of the week because it's just a bunch of guys coming together, being real with one another and saying, man, just really need some prayer, just struggling. Me and my wife have really kind of just been at odds and I, and I just can't figure it out. I wanna be better for her, how do I do it? Or man, I got this deal at work that I'm, I know I'm overstressing about. I know, da, da, da. And we are, we're real with one another. We pray with each other and it is, Bible says, confess your sins to one another so that you may be healed. And one of the greatest tricks that the devil ever pulled was making you think you're the only one. There's six billion people on earth and you're the only one 
struggling with this thing or struggling to this degree. And so we just feel like, and I, I mean, I have felt that so many times in my life that like, gosh, if people only knew, if they only knew that Pastor Mike was dealing with this or struggling with that, I would, you know, just like, Everything would fall apart, right? And it's a lie from the pit of hell. And I love that the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter 5, 8, and 9 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And this is the part right here. Resist him, steadfast in the faith. And here it is, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood, sisterhood in the world. It's not just you. You're not the only one who messed up last weekend or lost their temper with their kids. Like, it, it's all of us. We're all in this thing together. And so there is, hiding is one of the worst things in the world we can do because there is power in confession, power in, in letting things surface and letting yourself be healed. Amen? Awesome. So we try to, we try to fix it. We try to hide. And then lastly, um, we try to balance it out. We try to balance it out. And uh, we're going to watch this one last uh, clip here. And this is the, the end of the movie, kind of the climax as, um, as Arthur Case, uh, Denzel Washington, the detective, is really kind of tracked down what's going on here and is on the verge of finding Arthur Case's secret. And there's this, this meeting in their office where Ar Arthur Case tries to defend himself with all the good things he's done. So let's watch this last clip here of Inside Man. It's the founding bank of your empire. You built it. It's your baby. Give me a straight answer. What do you think happened? I have no idea. Oh, come on now. Come on. I'll tell you what I think happened. I think you sent that woman in there to patch things up. Miss White, I think you paid her. What was she doing in there? This is absurd. Are you implying that I had anything to do with it? 392. Safe deposit box, 392. What's the story on that? I have no idea what you're don't talking about. Don't lie to me, Mr. Case. I don't lie. I looked at all the records. All the bank records for safe deposit boxes at your bank. At first glance, everything looked fine, but there was one safe deposit box that had no records. I mean, going all the way back to 1948. So I started thinking, who would have the answer to this riddle? Probably the man who forgot to mention that he built the bank in the first place in 1948. It doesn't add up, Mr. Case. It does not add up. I'm afraid I, I can't be of any further use to you, Detective. It's something really bad, isn't it? Mr. Fraser, I have spent my whole life serving humanity. You can ask anyone who knows me. They'll vouch for me and for the things that I've done. They'll vouch for me and for the things that I've done. And so many, you know, I love that we, we're just coming out of uh, our series, Religion Rehab, and, and that's what religion says. Religion says if you just outbalance your bad deeds with a bunch of good deeds, then God will accept you. You'll, you're, you're, you're all good. And it just it doesn't work that way. And really, um, uh, an analogy just as I close. So um, the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, MIT, is the most prestigious technical college in the world. When it comes to science, technology, engineering, and math, there is no other school that is as good as MIT, has one of the lowest acceptance rates ever. And if you want to get in, if you want to be accepted at MIT, you have to have a perfect academic record. You have to have a perfect GPA. You have to have a perfect SAT score. You have to have a perfect resume of all your extracurricular activities. It doesn't matter if like way back in 10th grade, you got that one C in high school English and you're like, no, please, it was just one C. It's like, sorry, we demand perfection. And listen, here's what's so 
you can't say that MIT is like mean or rude because all they're doing is protecting their value. What would it look like if MIT just said, you know what? No more admission standards. Anybody wants to come to MIT, come on in. It's all good. Don't care if your GPA is a 4.0 or a 1.2, come on in. What would happen is the value of an MIT degree would plummet. It would, it, would not, it would not retain its value. And so you see in the same way, God, not because he's a jerk or because he's mean, he, he has to demand moral perfection from us because he can't devalue himself. But the problem is, is any blip, it doesn't matter if you stack up, just like on your transcript, if you're trying to get into MIT, it doesn't matter how many A's you got. If you got that one C, that one D, it's enough to, to disqualify you, right? And so listen, I know it can sound like very heavy, but the truth is, is that none of us, it doesn't matter how many good deeds you locked up, you, you racked up. The Bible says that every single one of us has fallen short of the glory of God. And listen, here's where it gets really, really great. So many of us, myself included, I've spent years as an early Christian doing this, and, and I really believe there's people in here, what you, you're exhausted because you're stuck in this moral rat race, just perpetually frustrated, just like, oh, if I can just, oh man, I, I screwed up this weekend and I said I was never gonna do it again, but I did, now I just need to, whatever, say a bunch of Hail Marys or, or do a bunch of good deeds and, and try, to, try to balance it back out, but then, you know, dang it, I did it again, and you're bad, and it's just this cycle, and it is so exhausting. But when you realize, when you accept that there is nothing you can do, and it's only something that Jesus himself can do, you know what happens? Freedom. Because guess what? It's no longer up to you. You can't screw it up. And so it's one of the most freeing things in the world you can do. How backwards is this? When you accept the fact that you are hopeless, that you on your own can do nothing. That is actually the most freeing thing in our entire universe because it's not up to you. And so all of a sudden you get to just chain, you get to just kind of grab on to what God is doing and just you're just like along for the ride, just like, oh my gosh, taking you into new levels of blessing, new levels of favor because it's, it becomes, if, if you spend your whole life like just looking around you trying not to sin, I mean, you know, maybe you, maybe you can kind of self-moderate your behavior a little bit, but you're gonna miss out on everything that God has for you because you can't step into vision, step into destiny, step into purpose. If you're too busy trying to like, just, you know, worry about all this little, when you realize that it's not up to you, that only Jesus can fuse you back to the vine. When you realize only Jesus can make that supernatural transaction, it will set you free. It will set you free. And so there's a, uh, I'm going to close with this. There's a, one of the most beautiful pieces of scripture in the Bible. I love this passage. It's in uh, Isaiah 118. It's going to be up on the screen. I want to just read it together and listen to, <laughs> desperation is not the right word, but just this like, almost like angst in the voice of God as he, he pleads with us. And so in Isaiah 118, it says, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Come now, let us reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. And I just love just the, almost the desperation. God is like, stop trying to fix it yourself. You're just stuck spinning around in circles and just let me fix it. And how good is our God that he has not just the power, but also the desire to make things right, to reach into our world and fix us if we would just let him. 
Thanks for listening. To find out more about our pastors, team, and what we do at C3 San Diego, go to C3SanDiego.com.